Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Next week, even Abner won't be here. It's going to be lonely, Abner. Summertime, see? We get hurt pretty hard. Um, we're still looking at Matthew or uh, Philippians chapter 3. And as based on how each of us can have that freedom indeed that Jesus talked about, and that's understanding that each one of us has access to immortality, and in that thinking rests our freedom. Now, that's a freedom that no one can take from you. It's a freedom that every, every individual can have, and if you have it, it has to be, have an, it has to be individual. It can't be corporate, can't be national. Nations cannot produce freedom. And we're not talking about national freedom and the idealism of that. We're talking here about a freedom that transcends all national freedom, and that's the freedom that your spirit, your spirit, your soul experiences when you have a grasp of your potential for immortality. Jesus taught that in John. We've read those verses two or three times. And now we're looking at the application of that in Philippians chapter 3. And the first thing we have noticed in verse 7 (coughs) is that it is an individual responsibility. Paul says this in verse 7, but what things were gained to me individually as who I am all of those things that were to his advantage as to how he was born. Now, if you were born that way, then you really didn't have any choice in the matter. And he said, all of those advantages that I had because of how I was born. You need to think about that. We carry so many so much baggage along with us in our lives today, things that come out of our background, all of those things, and we need to come to this to the grips that where we are in this matter of freedom and it is is, is an individual responsibility as how we perceive our chances for immortality. That's the only essence of real freedom there is for all individuals equally. Now, that's not all that he says. But what things were gained to me, those I counted. I took the responsibility 
of using my newfound values as a means of making distinctions between what it was I was born into and where it was that I really need to be. I'm taking the responsibility for that. And you see, that's what values do. I have counted all things. I have counted. No one else has done it for me, not my family, not my children, not my employer. I have counted. You see, it's a personal decision to weigh the possibilities of what you have and what you do with your values. Everyone has the capability of moving out of what they were born into, but that's not necessarily easy. So our values have to take on a meaning because they're based on truth and they're the result of our choice in life. And Paul is setting this up so that we understand that not all choices are easy. And sometimes we have to put aside all all of the advantages that we have gained through life because there is a value that supersedes all of that. Now let's just think a little bit together today before we move into verse 8. How do we determine values in anything? I'll let any of you all, you, you all help me out on this. How, how do you determine what a value is? Who can help me? I don't all speak at once. After all, something that means something specifically to you. Okay, that's a good start. That should set the threshold. Who wants to add to that? What, when, and how does it mean something? When does it come to mean something to you? So it has an impact on how you live. I've been worried about that. (laughs) Now, you're laughing, but... The laugh may end up on you. <laughs> okay, who else, who else would like to add to that? What are other things that... Oh, uh, Nathan. All right, Nathan is saying that uh, we we have to shift through life until we get to some things that can't be sifted out. The absolutes, and then from that. Yes? I think value has a lot to do with the Okay. All right. So there, that's, a, that's a good determining factor, isn't it? All right, I like that. We're gonna uh, let's go to Matthew and we'll read about that. Well, not yet. I'm not quite ready. I got to, I got to remember where it was. But it's in Matthew, the pearl of great price. I think it's in chapter 15. But let me ponder it. Who else wants to make a comment? How do you determine values? Okay, so there there is that application. What others think about something. You have to be careful about that. Yeah. 
Okay, so now, now we get a time factor. Uh, how long will this thing that you've focused on last? How long will it last? You can, get, you can buy a good deal and get something real cheap, providing you want to buy it every week. Some things don't last. And so there is a time factor involved. There is a cost factor. A lot of things that you can get cheap, that's what they're worth. And is this value that you hold to, is it usable? Does it have any practical value? A lot of theology has very little practical value. It's pie-in-the-sky stuff. Real Christianity has practical value. Doesn't it? Yeah. Kind of, it, it, it even has an effect upon can have an effect upon how you feel. Always a determining factor, but, but it has a practical value. And because in Christianity we find the laws of commerce, we find the laws of finance, we find the laws of decent health, attitude. Don't we find all that? First Peter says everything pertaining to godliness, everything pertaining to life is found in the Scripture. That's about everything. If, every, if it means everything, it means that's just about everything. I mean, everything is probably everything, eh? Amen. That Canadian thing again, you know. Um, but, <clears throat> well, I, those are some good ideas. Now, he, he moves then with some of those things in mind, and he, he's saying a lot of the things that I have valued, and he, he lists them. We read them last week. In the previous verses, verses 1 through 7, he tells us about some of the things that he was born into that really made him at a higher position than most of his peers. What, can you remember what one or two of them were? You can read them. His education. Well-educated. What are some other things? From the text. That's in verses 1 through 7 of Philippians 3. He was born a Jew, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, how's that? As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, now he talks about how he made his application, how strongly he believed in his position with that born background. Did he have any choice over those matters? Was it whether he or not he was of the tribe of Benjamin? Did he have any choice in that? No, that's how he was born. But as to his zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. He was the one that held the coat. Who knows the rest of the story? For when Stephen was killed, he was right there in the midst of it. 
That was before his conversion on the road to Damascus. As to righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He was equal to Christ in his ability to keep and honor the law. So not only was he born with an advantage, but he exercised what that advantage meant to him and utilized it to the utmost. And that's why he was opposed to Christianity at that point, because he saw it as an evil. Now he says, I've taken all of those things which I considered advantages because of how I was born and things that I had no choice over and became totally surrendered to the things that I can choose, counting them and making them as disadvantages because there is one advantage that is greater than all of those advantages that I had because of how I was born. Any of you folks ever been poor? I've never been there, and I'm not proud of that necessarily, but I've never been poor. Abner, I've never missed a meal. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe we didn't have any money, but I never knew it. And you know what? My little dogs, Harry's still living, by the way, but he, he it's something else. We took him to the park last night and strolled, you know, pushed him in the stroller. The little kids in the park just love him. They all come up to the stroller. But do you think they feel poor? I don't. I don't think they've ever been poor either, because they they've had enough food to eat. You know, they're cared about. We take them to where kids can play with them. They love and adore the kids. Both of them do. But he's not long for this world, and I'm not sure about Tess either, because they both have heart issues, the same heart issue. But all of the advantages, Paul said, I have counted them as loss because they get in the way of the one advantage that I can have by my choice. Individual choice. What I can choose because of what I have known, what I have learned, what I now have a grasp of. <clears throat> so he is saying that hereditary things, they're valuable. They have given me an advantage, but now I have assumed an individual responsibility, and so I'm moving out of those hereditary advantages and moving into personal choice based on knowledge. Verse 8. Do you have that up there? Is it up there? Okay. <clears throat> so, but whatever things were, um, what things were gained to me or to my advantage, those things I, I counted lost. And so there was a value system that was taking place in Paul's thinking. That here was something that he was beginning to value. It was growing on him. 
It was beginning to take precedent over all of the other things in his life. Folks, that's the, that's the point where every individual must come. You have to come there. I have to come there. We have to come to that point in life where all of our advantages, if we've had any, have become nothing because there is something that supersedes all of that. And Paul hits it right square on the head. That pertains to Christ. So our view of Christ has to be accurate. That opens up the door for a rabbit trail. But before we go to the rabbit trail, let's look at verse 8. Now I'm reading from the King James uh, only because I don't have room to open this Bible up here. It's, um, I get a little bit, and I'm just reading it from the Greek. So don't worry about some of the word placements. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but loss. I count all things, all of my advantages that I've had. We've read about them in verses 1 through 7. But there is something that supersedes all of those things, and that's knowledge, and a particular knowledge, not just knowledge in general, but knowledge, the excellency of the knowledge of knowing Jesus the Christ, who is also my Lord. So the first contrast is in verse 7, that we're moving from birth responsibilities to individual responsibilities in verse 7. And there is a Greek word there that is a strong, strong word. The verse 7 begins with Allah, and it means more than death in the Greek, both translated but. It's used to mark opposition, an interruption to, a transition from one thing to another. And then in verse 8, that verse begins with the same word again. And then we have it repeated down in verse 9 again. We're going to look at those contrasts because he is he's dealing with things here that are in opposition and the choice that he makes in that opposition, in that interruption of the past to something greater in the present and in the future. So in verse 8, but where where was that in verse 8? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge. Knowledge that is most excellent. He's not saying because I know, I I, I simply have heard about and know about Christ Jesus our Lord, my Lord, individually, my dictator. But the knowledge, the knowledge of, the knowing, the true knowledge, this knowledge that is superior to all other knowledges. Now, you have to have knowledge to do a lot of things in life. 
But he's saying there is one knowledge that is superior to all other knowledge. So those people and those folks who know Jesus Christ on a whim don't know him at all. That's not knowledge. Knowledge is the result of study, of work, of thinking, a process that is involved in it. And so we come to grips with this one and we get an accurate picture of Christ Jesus. So we can compare ourselves with what Paul is telling us here about that there is a knowledge that is superior to all other knowledges. Chemistry. Geology. Technology. All of those things. There is a knowledge that is supersedes all of those kinds of knowledges. And if the world was created through Christ, is that not a clue that if everything that is has come through him, that there is something about Christ that we need to know about? We need to grasp. We need to understand. And so here on a little rabbit trail from Philippians, we're going to talk about uh, from a chart that we made up a while ago on who is this Jesus so that we can get a good grasp of who he is and hopefully quite briefly. <clears throat> but before we do that, let's go over to the book of Matthew and look at chapter 13 because I told Greg, he, he brought this up. I said chapter 15, but it's chapter 13. <clears throat> yeah, forgive me. You know, I'm getting old. And I forget some of these things. In Matthew chapter 13, let's look at verse 44 <clears throat> to set the standard. Matthew 13 and verse 44. I don't think you have that in your notes anywhere but you got it up there. The kingdom of heaven is like. That means he's drawing a picture, and he wants you to get that picture. It's like a treasure hidden in the field. A man, a man finds that treasure. He hides that treasure. From joy over it, whatever that treasure is, he doesn't tell us, but it's something that meant a lot to this guy. And he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. There is Jesus' teaching on what Paul practiced. He found a treasure and he got rid of all of his advantages as a Jew to take on this new acquisition of Christ. Now notice verse 45. This is more specifically what Greg was talking about earlier. Again, the kingdom of his heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, He went and sold all that he had and bought it. So he had something to sell. 
you know, that's a no-no in some people's thinking today. But Jesus is using the story of a man who really represents how we all ought to be, particularly in attitude, that here, here we have a merchant, a CEO. You know, it just is amazing to me that some of our politicians are so anti-corporations. And yet, I look at them and they're wearing suits, and the suits are made by corporations. You got a tie on? You know, a tie is made by a corporation? They're wearing glasses? Glasses are made by corporations? And they go to a bathroom, and the stools are made out by a corporation? Don't, hey, hey, everything's made by corporations, aren't they? Huh? Uh, I didn't quite hear that. Buildings? Oh, yeah. Well, you about have to be. So everything, by, it, it, that's kind of interesting. So here he's talking about a merchant, probably incorporated. I don't know that. But he's seeking fine pearls. He had an objective. He knew what he was looking for. He, he knew that there was value in pearls. I have found pearls. You know, we used to do oysters and uh, up in Seattle, and uh, every once in a while you get one of the little, little tiny oyster, a little pearl in there. We were always thrilled with that. Not worth much. But upon finding one pearl of great value, he takes action. Now, he is wanting us to realize that there is a pearl that's worth taking action for, and that pearl is what Paul is expressing in Philippians 3 and verse 8 and 9, that it is a knowledge, the knowledge about Christ Jesus. Not a whim, not a hope so, but knowledge, knowledge. Knowledge that is so impactful it changes how you operate your life. That's when it's real. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. That's probably a sound business deal to this guy. Huh? I think it must have been. So again, he's describing how we need to feel about things that have in them the investment of immortality. Otherwise, the kingdom means nothing. Christ means nothing. Because that's the end result, is that each one of us has that freedom to make an investment in immortality. Everyone has the right and the freedom and the liberty to rise from the dead. And no one can take that away from you, no matter what kind of government you live under. So we're not talking about national freedom. We're talking about the freedom that Jesus said was freedom indeed, and it's the freedom to make a decision based on knowledge about how you live this life and the rest of your life in the world to come. So the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of Christ. Now, turn with me to... Hebrews 2, 
and we're gonna we're gonna start. I don't know. Can, can you all read that chart up there? I'm gonna skip and you know skip around a little bit. But one side of that chart. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how he did this. He didn't even know about this this morning. I don't know how Greg does puts all this stuff together. Can you read the print on that? You're you're good. Um, a little bit. Well, we'll. This is the truth about Jesus, and we look. We want to look at it through three distinct time frames. That is so critical to understand Jesus from the standpoint of time frames. We'll we'll illustrate what that means. It's all found in this verse. I came forth from the Father, out of the Father, and then come into the world. There's two time frames. What are the two time frames so far? What's the first one? Pre, I came from the Father, pre-birth, and come into the world, that's from Bethlehem on, and I leave the world and go to the Father, that's the third time frame, following the resurrection. Now, we, there are some things in this time frame that we don't know about. He hasn't told us that he was begotten by the Father. So at some point in time, there was one Jehovah God, and then he had a son. We don't know much about that. And then he, God takes the one who had become his son. He didn't send him to the earth to become his son, but because he was his son. John 3.16, who can quote it real quick? God so that he gave his only begotten begotten, begotten. See, Jesus was not eternal. And as soon as you put him into the real real realm of being eternal, you have to throw that verse out. How many of you learned that as little children in school? God uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only, what? Begotten. Son. See, he gave him as a son not to become a son, but because he was a son. And the son is always subordinate to the father. That reminds me of one verse I got to read, and then we're going to have to close. We didn't get through that chart, did we? Guess what you're going to get next week? The chart. We've got to take our time, folks, through that because this is expressing what P, uh, Paul is talking about in Philippians 3.8. And I want us to have a full background. What did I say we're going to turn to? Oh, 1 Corinthians 15. I have no idea what verse yet. <clears throat> Let's go to verse um, uh, 21. I love it when everybody is responsive. I, even though you have a small crowd, you know, it really helps. You, you gave me some good ideas on values, and those, those, uh, that makes it fun for me. 
So in verse 21, for since by a man death, separation, the word death means to separate. It can mean separation in many things. Separation uh, of the spirit from the body, separation of the spirit from God. So in this case, it is likely talking about a separation of man's spirit from God. By a man, okay, for since by a man, death, by a man, equal to the one who brought death, was whom? You can guess. Don't be, don't be ashamed if you're wrong. Who was the second man? Christ. Because, see, what we're going to learn on the chart, we don't need to go back there, uh, what we're going to learn is that when he was here, in order for him to accomplish everything God set aside for him to do, he had to be as one of us. Did you hear that? If he was something other than what we are now while he was here in the days of his flesh, then he's nothing. We ought not be here. He has absolutely no value to us at all. So the Bible is always clear that when he was here, he was as one of us. We're not talking about what he was before he came. We're not talking about what he came, what he became after he left. But this verse introduces us to an idea that I want to read here if I ever get to it. For since by a man, by a man, equal to each other, see, it had it had to be a man to undo what the first man did. It had to be through a man. Who said that? That was good. had to be through a man. And by the way, the Greek is through a man. Through a man, not by. Also came the resurrection of the dead. See, if Jesus was something other than you and I, what good would his resurrection do to you? would mean nothing at all. So notice again in verse 22, he gives us the names. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And he's talking about potentiality here. Verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, after that those who are Christ, not at his coming, and if that's in your Bible, you ought to be ashamed to carry that Bible because that's not what it says at all. It should be who are Christ in his presence. Coming is a verb. The word is a noun. I'm going to get real technical here because we've got to clear up our thinking. We have a bias in most of our translations, and folks, we've got to correct the bias or we can't see Christ clearly. Now, I've got to read another verse or two before we leave. That didn't have anything to do with where I'm going. Verse 24, that was free. Then, 
when Christ makes his appearance and holds on to his presence in judgment of Israel, is what this context is talking about, when he comes to the end of Judaism, not talking about the end of time. The New Testament, by the way, never talks about the end of time. Did you know that? You can't find it. It doesn't, doesn't exist. He's talking about the end of Judaism, talking about the end of Israel, talking about the end of the law, but never does he talk about the end of time anywhere in the New Testament. If anybody wants to challenge me on it, I'll give you $1,000 if you can find any reference. Don't have, any mo- don't have any food for lunch today? Take me up on the offer. Then see how fast you can run. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to, to the God and Father, the old kingdom, to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. Now remember, Jesus came to whom? Came to the Jews, to the household of Israel. Everything about him has to be in that context or it's not relevant. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom, the old kingdom, to the God and the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, all the enemies of Judaism, of the law, The last enemy will be abolished is death, spiritual death. Verse 27 and verse 28, then we close for sure. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. God has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. Remember I said the son is always subject to the father? Well, that's what this verse is saying. No matter how you view the rest of this, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. Everything that God put in subjection to Christ did not include himself. When all things, verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. Oh, so that now the identity of God can be back in its union again of one. One God. That God may be all in all. In other words, Christ is delegated to a role of God for a period of time until such a time as he has accomplished his mission in that role, and then he turns that back over to the Father so that God may be all in all. You see that? Now, maybe you don't agree with that. That's fine. You've been wrong other times, too. You know. But think about that, because that shows you that Jesus' position, he came to be at, don't we, we don't need to go He came to be as one of us, having come out of the bosom of the Father, and he goes back to play a role that he is delegated to, to play a role of God in certain things, subject to the Father, 
And then when that time comes, we're not discussing that, it's all turned back to the Father so that the Father may be God all in all once again and no longer a diversion of authority. Folks, that's what separates the Lord's church from the churches in mass. That's the difference between what we ought to be believing about Jesus Christ and what the religious world thinks they believe about him and eternity and immortality, the differences made in this belief. We're going to sing. No charge for overtime. But there should be. And I'm reconsidering, you know. All right, let's stand as we sing one verse of I will sing of my Redeemer because now we're learning about who he is. And folks, that ought to make all the difference in the world as to how you live your life. One verse, 247. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.